Good morning. If you've been uh, with us the last few weeks, um, you know where we are in this, uh, I guess, this march through uh, Ephesians. We're coming toward the end here. We're winding down as far as uh, the letter goes. But where we are in the letter, Paul's gearing up. He's bringing into focus the point and the purpose of, of his writing the letter. And we've looked over the course of uh, months now the instruction that Paul had for the believers in Ephesus. This was a circular letter we talked about, so it wasn't just going to be read by that particular church. They would share that among the other community, communities around them. Uh, but this is a, a pivotal letter because it reveals Paul's heart in what he deems important for us, the believer, to know. And where we're at in the passage right now, where we're looking at something that if we don't understand how this works, we're going to live a life of frustration and futility. We're going to live a life of aggravation. Where if we don't understand how this spiritual armor that we're going to be looking at works, we are going to uh, constantly be angry. We're going to constantly be fearful. We're going to be self-centered and self-focused, self-protective, and that's no way to live. That's not how a believer lives. So, of course, whenever you talk about spiritual warfare, you kind of expect you're going to have some. You know, the reality is you have it every day. There isn't a day goes by where you do not do spiritual warfare. Sometimes you're mindful of it, sometimes you're not. But every day is a battle. Our tendency is to think that we're going out after some big foe that uh, is presenting itself as evil. You know, some major movement, some uh, social movement, political movement, some sort of of agenda or some obvious wrong by, uh, by society or, or something, or perhaps a person. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the battle you have every single day, multiple times a day, on the battleground of your mind. That's where this battle is fought. Everything out here that happens circumstantially has to be interpreted by you in order for you to respond. That's where the battle is. How are you interpreting things? So we want to look at uh, this uh, instruction from Paul, but I, I want to remind you, you can't really look at this. I'm, I've, I have one verse today, okay? Um, and I, I, could, I could keep you here till 3, 4 o'clock talking about that one verse. I'm not going to. 
that was the enemy lying to you that this is going to be forever. Um, that shot of panic that just went through your, your mind. Uh, there's plenty in this verse. But you have to look at it in its context. And I encourage you when you read the Word of God, you read things in context. Because it's written based on that assumption that you're going, everything's building. And we're going to look at that in this passage. Everything's building. And so you've got to take it in context. And please, you've heard me say it time and time again, do not take what I tell you, Steve tells you, Bill tells you, do not take what we preach up here and store that away and say, well, that's the way it is and build your, your, your faith around uh, the gospel according to Pat. Because the gospel wasn't written by Pat. Pat's responsible for living out the gospel, but I didn't write it. Every single time you listen to a teacher, every single time you read a book or a commentary, remember you're getting that person's picture. Now, none of us ever intend to lie. None of us ever intend to tell things that are not true. But God says to be wise. He says, in fact, Paul encouraged the believers, he said, be like the Bereans. They, they, they sit in the temple, the synagogues, and listen to the uh, teaching. But then they go home and they search the scriptures to see if it's true. If you're not searching the scriptures, you're going to be in trouble. If you're not searching the scriptures, you're going to be vulnerable. And that's exactly what Paul's going to start off talking about here. So, study your word. There's a lot in it. I want to read Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. This is, remember, this is the conclusion of his letter. We're nearing the end here. This is the summation. This is where he's tying all things together. This is the exclamation point. This is this next section of scripture, the one Steve's been looking at for a couple of weeks, the one I'm looking at, and then the next couple of weeks after that, it is the fulfillment, the purpose for everything that was written before. It's tying it all together and saying, this is what you need to know. In light of all this, this is how this works. This is life living, life giving instruction here. And starting in verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation 
and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for the saints. So, that's Paul's summation. He's likening this to a battle because it is a battle. Everything he's written before is for this battle. It's a battle you and I are in every single day. He says in here, therefore, in verse 13, he's talking in 10, 11, and 12 about being strong, putting on the armor, who our wrestling matches with, who our struggle is against. Then he goes on to say, therefore. Ian Thomas always said, you know, when you see therefore, look to see what the therefore is there for. Why is it there? It's, it's a conclusion, okay? It's a, uh, another way of putting it would be accordingly or consequently. In other words, because of all this, this. Therefore, in verse 14, he says, stand firm, therefore, again. Only this time, the therefore is talking about what's behind it, okay? The first therefore was based on what, what I just told you, therefore this. This one, if you read it, it says, stand firm, therefore, so that you will be, uh, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and on and on and on. In other words, that he's saying because of putting on or girding your loins with truth, because of ha ha have, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, ha because of shodding your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, having taken up the sword of the Spirit and the shield of faith. In other words, because of that, therefore, you stand firm. Because of this, this. Standing firm. What does that look like? What does that mean? Standing firm, you know, it's talking about so that we can resist. In other words, there's, there's going to be a pressure against us. There's going to be a force moving against us. And our, our, our job in this battle is to stand firm. Hold your ground. Hold your position. Be in place. In an army arrayed for battle, you've got a spot. You've got a position. Be in your position. That's what it means. It means make, make firm, fix, establish, causing to keep one's place. Don't break rank. Stay in position. Standing from it, it'd be like uh, a football team Everybody's got an assignment for the play. The offensive guard has a job to do when the ball is snapped. And his job is to stand firm, hold his position, keep the force out. Does that make sense? That's what we're looking at. But also, the wide receiver has the job of standing firm also. It's a little bit different. But his job is to run this route 
uh, so that the quarterback can pass him the ball. If he runs the wrong route, he's not standing firm. He's not staying in position. He's not following through with his directive. He's off somewhere else, and it's, and it's going to result in an interception or incompletion or something like that. So he's standing firm by being where he's supposed to be on that particular play. Does that make sense? Standing firm does not mean inactivity. It doesn't mean staying in place as far as immobile. It means being where you're supposed to be in the order in which you are. This is coming right on the tail end of the instruction right before it where he went through and said, Wives, be submissive to your husbands. Husbands, cover your wives. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Servants, be uh, submissive, be faithful to your master. Masters, be faithful to your servants. He's talking about everyday living out here. We've got a place to be. We've got a job to do. The battle isn't out here with some big enemy. The battle is right here between our temples. The battle is in our mind. The battleground is out here. And Satan uses all these circumstances of life to try to get us out of position, to try to get us looking in the wrong place, being in the wrong place. That's the battle we're talking about. Paul has just gone through and said, whatever your role is, whatever God has called you to, male or female, child, servant, slave, servant, master, whatever, that's your place to do battle, to stand firm, to be you as an ambassador of Christ. And as we go through the armor, I don't know if you noticed it, uh, when you go through the armor uh, that he lays out here, he does so because they're very, he uses that just like I used that football analogy there. He's using something that they're very familiar with. Ephesus was a city of, of Rome under Roman jurisdiction. And so, uh, so they were very familiar with, with Roman soldiers. They were all around them. There was always a presence of Roman soldiers. So they, you know, he was using something that they're very familiar with to illustrate a point. And he chooses the armor because these are soldiers of battle. They're, they're, they're soldiers of conflict. And so he uses them. So the pieces of the armor are legitimate uh, as far as the helmet and the, the sword and the breastplate and whatnot. But he's drawing a parallel. He's, he's, he's using them to be an example for something else. And so we have to pay attention to that. So we're to stand firm in our position. And the first thing he says is we're to gird our loins with truth. Now I had a lot of fun with that this week, this whole passage. Not just this week, it's been a couple weeks. Uh, 
studying this out. What does he mean with all these imageries and, and whatnot? You know, it's not, uh, we don't, anybody thought about girding their loins this week? You know, did you use that expression? Did you tell somebody, well, gird your loins and let's go over here, you know? Uh, that's not something we use, okay? It would be similar to roll up your sleeves. You know, have you heard that expression? Let's roll up, your, let's roll up our sleeves and get to work, okay? That's kind of what this was used for. But we have to pay attention to why this. Back in their day, they didn't have the same clothing that we have. Uh, they didn't have undergarments like we have, okay? And one of the th purposes for the loins, by the way, was that uh, in their culture, in their perspective, the loins were that region of the upper thigh to the waist. It was uh, referred to as the reproductive center of, uh, of a person. And so the loins is that region right here. And to gird up your loins for a man basically meant you held things together, okay? That's why the word girdle is used there. Some of your translations, may, it may be the girdle of truth. Some it's the belt of truth. But what it does, I asked uh, my class on Wednesday night, what does a girdle do? And a woman immediately said, holds things in. That's exactly what this was for. To, when it's always was, whenever you see gird your loins, it's in reference to you're going to be active. You're going to be on the move. In other words, they would tighten things up. They didn't have jock straps or whatever you want to refer to it as, even underwear in those days. This was it. It was a loincloth. And so they would tighten that up, preparing to move. Okay? For a soldier, it had a lot of uh, functions beyond that. It was a piece of cloth or leather uh, that would do that. It would, it would hold, things, uh, hold things in or hold things up. And what it would do, it was also where they would attach the other pieces of armor. It, it held things together as well. Uh, there was a belt that would be cinched around. It would actually be a one-piece thing that, that, that would actually tie together, and that tying it together was considered to be the belt. Uh, and so, because it would be around the waist, but it would, it would hold things in, it would hold things together, and it would hold things on. They would, uh, a military belt had a, had a spot on it uh, for the knife or their dagger, uh, their sword. Uh, we tend to think of the big sword. They wouldn't carry those around. They would carry a, a smaller sword, and it would be in a sheath on their, on their belt, on their side, which was uh, in that girdle, okay? A common working man or, well, a common girdle would also have sewn into it a pouch to carry things, kind of like a fanny pack, 
Uh, you know, it would, it would be their purse uh, for money. It would be for some provisions. It would be sometimes as a, for a soldier. It would be for uh, military purposes. That, but it would, because they didn't, they didn't have trousers like we have trousers. They didn't have pockets. Uh, and so the belt was used as a place of storage as well as holding things up and holding things together. Okay, get the picture? A military belt might also be a two-piece thing, one being the linen part, uh, the fabric part, but it also uh, at, could be like a, uh, a shorter skirt of, made of leather strips that had uh, metal sewn to it, the leather strips so that they could move freely. It would be kind of like a grass skirt effect type thing, uh, but that was for protection. Why does he start off with that? Because it's the most vulnerable place to, for the soldier. He could be incapacitated. He could be you know, temporarily paralyzed, so to speak, if he was hit in that region. And so there was all these purposes for uh, the focus of, of this girdle of truth. Why truth? Because that's where we are vulnerable if we don't know it. If we don't know what truth is, we can get hit with anything from anywhere. We have to know what is true. We have to know. Remember what Paul's been teaching them. He's been teaching them the promises of, 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 made by God to the believer. He's been teaching them where they stand with God. He's been reminding them of their value to God and their role in this grand play here on earth where we get to be God representatives. He's reminding them of who they are in Christ and what they have made available to them in Christ with all the resources of God available to them for daily living. If we don't know that, if we don't know what is true, that's why I challenged you. I'm not here to tell you anything wrong, but you better check it out because you need to know what is true from the Word of God, from the one who is true, truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life, he said. So that's why it's so important. That's why that vulnerable spot is... is likened in that piece of armor with, with the, you know, the girdle of truth. One, it's protective. Two, it signifies you're going to be on the move. You're not going to be stationary. You're going to be on the move. Life is on the move. That's where the battlefield is, but the battle takes place right here. So he goes on to say this in verse 14, after he says, gird up your loins uh, with the truth. He goes on to say, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, 
the breastplate of righteousness. Why the breastplate? What does the breastplate cover? Vital organs. The places where if you're hit there, you're dead. If you're hit there, you're going to be mortally wounded. Not just temporarily out of commission. You got to protect the things that if they're not working, you're not working. Okay? So the significance there is important. Why then would the breastplate, the covering of the most vital organs, be likened to with righteousness? And I've come to figure out in the years of walking with God, in the years of uh, counseling from the Word of God, if a believer does not know they're righteous, they're dead. Not physically dead. They're as good as dead in the battle. They're going to be confused. They're going to be looking in the wrong place. They're going to be using the wrong weapons. They're going to be totally, totally confused by the enemy because the enemy fights dirty. Remember what his warfare is? The lie. In Romans, we're told way back in the garden, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. That's how Satan fights. He fights dirty. He fights with deception. He fights with lies. That's what he does. That's why you need to know truth. But it's why you need to know the truth about you. If you don't know you're righteous, if you don't know you're holy, if you don't know that you're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus, then you're going to constantly be checking yourself out to see what do I need to build up? What do I need? You know, well, you know I'm, I'm, I'm vulnerable. Uh-uh. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. That put on there, that word for putting on, literally means to immerse in be fitted for. It'd be like going to a, a tailor and having him just perfectly fit you with a suit where it was just perfectly conformed to your body. It's almost like, uh, uh, you know, under armor, you know, the tight uh, clothing that just fits to your, your body. That's what this implies is that righteousness fits you. You've been fitted with righteousness. It's your armor. It's not borrowed from the world. Remember, Steve looked at, at uh, David. You know, Saul volunteered to give him his armor to go into battle against Goliath, and it didn't fit. It was worthless to him. In fact, it was distracting to him. He didn't need it. It wasn't his. This is yours. Righteousness is you. If you don't know that, you're constantly going to be nailed with thoughts of guilt. That's what Satan does. What does spiritual warfare look like? Well, it looks like 
thoughts of guilt over something I said, something I did, and how I just beat myself up with, oh, if, why did I say that? Why did I do that? Why did, you know, it looks like when, when uh, somebody close to you uh, misunderstands you or, or just lies about you or, or whatever, uh, and, and you hear about it, and it wounds you, it hurts you, and the rest of the day, you're analyzing, you're sitting there thinking what they thought, what they really meant, you know, what, how do I defend myself? How do I make sure everybody else knows the truth about this situation? You know, where you're just sitting there going over and over in your head, all these accusations, all these reflections of self-protection and whatnot, that's what the battle looks like. It can be fear. I went in to, to get my umpteenth skin cancer removed uh, this, this week. And as, as the uh, doctor is sewing up my back, talking about, reminding me again that I'm like, you know, skin cancer poster awareness child. Um, the, the poster boy for skin cancer. Uh, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, I'm 54 years old. I mean, this thought hits me, I'm 54 years old. My mom died of skin cancer when she's 59. What am I going to do with the next five years? And I start thinking of what if, what if? Mom would have had it when she was about 56. That's when they discovered it. So she was probably my age when the one that killed her was, uh, was there but unknown. See where your mind goes? Fear. Anger. Confusion. Accusation. Where do those thoughts come from? Not you. You are righteous and you're holy. You're a child of the living God. Look at Ephesians 4, 24. 23 and 24. It says in that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Those thoughts don't come from you. They come from the enemy. They come from the liar, the deceiver. Remember, he can disguise himself even as the angel of light. How difficult is, him, is it for him to disguise himself as your old nature? Your old nature's dead. You're a new creation, a child of the living God. Those thoughts of accusation, those thoughts of condemnation, those thoughts of guilt cannot come from you because they are not coming from Christ. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why do we entertain them? Because they're familiar. We've been listening to them our whole life. We've been evaluating ourselves against by everybody else based on our performance our whole life. We're not used to thinking like a new creation. That's why the whole emphasis of Paul's letter is know what's true and renew your mind with the truth. Put off the old. Circumcise the flesh. The flesh is that pattern of thinking that you learned from him, the enemy, on how to be your own God. But that's not you anymore. 
You're a new creation. You see, in, a, in second, or, uh, second Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5, about this battle, it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the destruction of fortresses or strongholds, flesh patterns. It says we're destroying speculations and every lofty thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You got thoughts from two different directions to interpret everything you do out here today. God's going to be telling your spirit the truth, and your spirit's going to be communicating that truth to your mind, and the enemy's going to be lying to you. You got to decide who you're going to believe. That's the battle. That's the war. But the war, what Satan uses to, to do war is everyday living, the circumstances of life, which we do every day. We need to know we're righteous. The breastplate of righteousness fits you. Truth is imperative for you to know. The deceiver, here's another way he does battle. He's going to remind you of everything you need to accomplish today. Every errand you need to run, every undone thing that's out there, every, every appointment you need to schedule or you need to make or prepare for, whatever you've got to prepare for, he'll, he'll remind you of everything going on in the world except the time you have allotted to spend with God in his word, in prayer. That's how he works. He doesn't just shotgun thoughts at you because he knows you. He helped build your flesh. He knows exactly where your weaknesses are. So you've got to be on the alert. That's what Paul is saying here. Stand firm, he says it three times in that passage. You've got to be ready. You're in a battle. Because you notice something about the, the armor here? There aren't any of the pieces for your back. They're all for your front. Why? Because that's where the battle is. Standing firm means you take life on knowing God is with you to provide to you everything you need for life and godliness. Fear gets you turned around. Guilt gets you introspective. Gets you focused on yourself and so you get beat over the head with whatever the enemy's attacking you with. Everything the world throws at you is designed to get you turned around. So here's my summation. Here's my point. You're in a battle, but you're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. We've been given life and life abundantly. God wants to be more than a conqueror through you in this battle. He wants you to enjoy it. Life needs to be fun. It's going to be stressful. It's going to be grieving sometimes and all those kind of things. 
But you know what? God intended for you to enjoy relationships, to enjoy the work of your hands, to enjoy the things, the, the beauty of the creation God put around you, to enjoy the talent he's given you and the gifting he's, he's fitted you with. Life is to be enjoyed and can only be enjoyed when we got our armor on. We're clothed with Christ. Take on life. And it's time to do that. See you next week.